Good morning, everyone. Welcome today to a Bible study time. Well, wow, there's, there's nothing I like better than to sit with friends and talk with them about the way I look at the scripture and share with you a little bit about that. That's what we're going to do this morning on a rainy day in, in Virginia. Uh, I got my coffee, a necessary thing to have to do Bible study. I hope you have yours or some reasonable facsimile thereof. As we begin today, we're going to be looking again, as we have been for some time, at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Very, very interesting document. The thing is best understood in two halves, like you would just cut a watermelon right in half. The, the first part of it is Paul's doctrines or dogma. He has a lot of rich theology packed into that first half. Then the second half of Ephesians is devoted to how he feels a Christian should live their life. He talks to the church about how he thinks the church should conduct itself, have what it should do and what it shouldn't do. Even more so, he gives admonitions about what it shouldn't do. Now, I've got to the fourth chapter this morning, verses 1 through 16. So you see, what I've got is the first part of the second half of the thing. And Paul begins by just describing his reasoning and rationale behind his notion that you should walk worthy of the calling that you have. So that's the theme I'm, I'm going to have with you all today, walking worthy of the calling to which you are called. Let me read the text. I'm going to use the King James Version this morning. It's a, it's a little more crisp, of course, and the Elizabethan language is to some degree a little harder to understand. However, it's paced and stitched together closer to the Greek than any of the ones I've known. And But then again, it's got some flaws too. But here we go. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one party, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when ye, he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended? First, into the lower parts of the earth. 
He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There is a reading for today. Now, that's just a portion of the fourth chapter, about half of that chapter there, that we're going to look at together. Now, uh, let, let me tell you what's in the toolbox here. So some of you may be teachers and be interested in what's, what I'm working with here. Uh, I, on a tough text like this, I like to see what the Greek words mean. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't need to be. This is the 20th century. I got a situation where I can go to a website called The Text This Week, open up the thing, and in there is, in fact, an interlinear Greek Testament printed out in there for me. So I can look at the underlining King James text, and just above it I can read the Greek word in English so that I can understand what it meant in Greek. That seems Hard, hard to understand, but it's not. It looks like this. I've written all over that one, but in any regard, you can see that it, the English is at the top. I mean, at the bottom, and the Greek is at the top. So you get an understanding that these words mean one thing in English, but actually meant something else. We're going to look at some of those. The other thing I'm using, I've used before, is this outline Bible. It's very helpful. The thing came out in the 90s, and it's written by a gentleman named Harold L. Wilmington. And Tyndall Public House puts it out, and that's that's what I use as a a way to look at the divisions in a text and be able to understand what's in it that way. And 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 that's about the size of it, really. That's about the size of it. Um, Here we go, looking today. Going to teach us, 
teach this text to you using an old-fashioned method called the expository method. The expository method is when, when you, if you're teaching a Bible study, you just go verse by verse and pray that you finish on time. <laughs> Basically, that's what you do. But verse by verse enables you to look at the text in its holistic way and, and get some idea of what Paul is trying to say. So we're going to do that. We're going to go verse by verse and look at it. Uh, we've talked about Ephesus enough, covered where that is and what the town and all was about. We've covered that, so we won't go there. We're just going to drop down here and pick up this calling thing here. Talk about this. Well, uh, here we have the first verse. It's walking worthy of the calling to which you are called. When Christ calls somebody, he bids them come and die, said Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Run that by you again. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a sufferer for the faith. Oh, he was quite a something he was. But he reminds us that this first verse is this whole key to this these texts that I read this morning. Walking worthy of the calling to which you are called. Oh, you have to ask yourself, what does it mean to walk worthy? Well, walking, of course, is, has to do with your deportment, how you, you conduct yourself. And the calling is the divine invitation that we all have to do something for God. It may be one thing, it may be something else, but, but to walk appropriately is what Paul is interested in teaching this early church. In the second verse, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. He means to say that with the way we walk is with humility and modesty and gentleness and patience. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, Do you know somebody that is hard to love? Gee whiz, I've heard that said many times and I've said it myself. Some people are just hard to love. They're difficult. They're hard to love. Well, we have to work harder. We have to work harder to do that. And the third verse says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We have to keep the thing unified together. Togetherness is very important to this Ephesian church, that they not be scattered by the winds of doctrine and concern over what they're going to do next. Paul wants them to hunker down here and hear what he has to say about how they're supposed to be, what kind of people they're supposed to be, what they think about before they begin the action of taking this Christian walk, where you walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. Verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Oneness, unity. This is the Ephesian hallmark. He comes back again, talking about the pneumata, pneuma, the spirit. We all are, have the same spirit. It's the same body, the same spirit. The body of Christ was important 
to, for them to think about it. Because the body is somewhere. The body of Christ is somewhere. Christ has a body. And they wanted that understood. One body. And you are called in one hope. There's a confidence that the Christian has. There's hope in the Lord. And then, of course, the verse 5, where he proclaims one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And in verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's painting this picture of a of a Lord who is Lord of all and in all. See? And one Lord, one faith. You can't divide the thing into, divide it up. One faith, one faith. The faith of the Baptist is the same as the faith of the Methodist. The faith, one faith. One Catholic, Catholic faith. Catholic faith means all faith. Not necessarily Roman Catholic, but all Catholic churches that are Catholic. We're all, that means we're all one. One Father of all, who is above all and in all. And this sounds like a prayer of St. Patrick when he says to the Irish, St. Patrick says, he prays that God will be above you and below you and beside you, in front of you, behind you, within you. And he goes on and on and on, making the sign of the cross so that every avenue is covered so that the devil can't sneak up on you from any angle. And the devil does sneak up on us sometimes. I was in the, I was in the Washington Zoo some years ago, walking around in there looking at things. And I got myself into the, to the cages of where the big cats were. And I was looking at this wonderful looking orange colored tiger. And he was laying down in there just relaxing, licking himself. And I walked over and looked at him and there was another cage right behind him. And, uh, what I didn't see was a, a lion, full grown lion, uh, with mane and everything had walked right up behind me and was looking right through the cage at the back of my neck, just licking his chops. When I turned around, I saw that lion about had a heart attack right there, but he could, he could sneak up on me and I was interested in how can he sneak up on me? Because his paws are padded and got little hairs on them and that scanner could walk right across in front of you. And if you don't have your eyes on him, you can't hear him. And that's how he snuck up on old Gene Thomas. And he didn't do it at one time that day. I can t- tell you that. Well, the devil wants to sneak up on you the same way, coming from behind sometimes. You can't see him. Quiet. He comes up on you. Well, maybe that's a little too far-fetched for you to put much confidence in. But sometimes a personified evil like that is necessary to get an understanding of what the real spiritual life is really like. So that's what it is. Now, in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Everybody's gifted. Everybody has a gift. Don't, don't, we can't say, well, I don't have any gifts. I, everybody else has got a gift. But I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. It, it says, but every one of us is given grace. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Did you know that? Did you, or do you think you save yourself? Well, if you do, you're firmly mistaken. Because you don't save yourself, the Lord saves you. Does all the work of salvation. But unto every one of us is given. What kind of gift is given? How is it given? Well, the Greek word there is like you give a tip. Interesting, isn't it? Like a gratuity. That's how God gives us grace. Just like that. Just like that. He just wants us to have it. It's not a big thing with bows on it and you get it once a year 
It's, every time you go to the Lord, he gives you a tip. Tip, tip. It's a tip. It comes with being his, his, his servant. It comes with waiting on him. That's what you get for waiting on him. He leaves you a tip. And a big one, too. Big one. Well, that's what the Greek says. Now, if you look, wherefore he said in verse 8, when he ascended up on high, he led captive, captive, captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. These three verses are theological. Nine, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth, and that he descended is the same also that he ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So you got this up and down, in and out, back to the side. Paul is covering all the bases of a Messiah. Just covering all the bases. Well, there you have it. That, that Those three verses are, are talking about how it is that the Lord is everywhere. And if you look at Jesus, one of the important things about Jesus, which isn't taught too much, but the church remembers this, on, on one Sunday a year, it's called Ascension. Ascension. Billy Graham one time uh, said that the Ascension is the most misunderstood and most often neglected of the great miracles of Christ. Because it's sort of worked in between the gift of the Holy Spirit coming in, you know, and then that. But the fact that Jesus ascended, ascended out of Bethany there up into the heavens is significant to the church because he's there at the right hand of God. He's everywhere, see? And now looking at verse 11. And he gave to some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, we've used this many, many times in the church, talk about different things. Some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, all of these gifts are things that people do, aspects of life, things that, are, that, they, that they will do. An apostle is somebody like a disciple, somebody like, like Peter or Paul or or somebody who is a significant leader in a church, an apostle, uh, some prophets. Uh, prophets in, in, in the life of the church can be uh, really insignificant, but you can count on them. Uh, I had a man one time who was a prophet. He happened to work on the, his gift was working on the building committee, and uh, he would he would he would he would make prophetic utterances. Now here's one he would say. If we don't fix the furnace, we're going to be cold next year, right? He'd make that prophetic utterance at every meeting, and we got tired of hearing it. So we, one winter came, and he said, if you don't fix the furnace, you're going to be cold. And we were sitting up in church cold as a mischief because we didn't fix the furnace. We didn't hear the man when he, we didn't recognize his prophetic gift. <laughs> it can be a very, very simple thing. It doesn't have to be a complex, long of great, great importance. A, a prophetic utterance can be something just as significant as if you don't keep both hands on the steering wheel, you're going to run in a ditch. See? It, it, it has to do with a depiction of the future if you don't change your ways. Well, that, that's a prophet. Some evangelist. An evangelist is, is a significant office in the church. It, it's not designed to be uh, done by a pastor is designed to be done by a specialist. And specialists are somebody 
who comes bringing the good news of Christ. Very often the good news that the evangelist brings is to the pastor and, and the congregation. Not The pastor doesn't get to take a week off. No, the evangelist preaches to both to the pastor and to the congregation. Some are evangelists, but some are pastors. Some carry the holiness and, the, of the, and are gifted to lead a congregation in, in, its, in its work. And, and some are teachers. Some people have the gift of teaching. Uh, they know how to teach. They're gifted. God has gifted them. Why? 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 So what is all this for? Is said in verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is about a mutual acknowledgement and, and about their, their perfection as special saints of God. You are somebody. You don't want to neglect that. And you were designed to do the work of, of ministry in a church. You have something to do. If you go through a whole day and you haven't done any work of ministry by encouraging somebody or blessing somebody, doing something for somebody other than yourself, then you, you, you have a pitiful thing going on there. For being a pastor, being an evangelist, being a teacher, being a prophet, apostle, whatever, all whatever your vocation is, is for the edifying of the body of Christ to make it stronger, to make it better. Verse 13, this goes on until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Uh, this means the maturity that we come to. We, we don't run around like children. Children, you know, the Lord blesses children and invites them into his lap, but he don't stay there forever. He puts them down sometime or another and gets on with the work of ministry because Paul recognizes that you can't just exist on the ethereal charge of a elementary Christianity. It has to move forward in, in boldness with the and be unified in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfection and measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. See, that's a, that's a call for maturity, unified in that. It's, uh, you know, there's such a thing as a minor. So that, that is, that you've got to be 21 to do certain things in Virginia. But if you're not 21, you're a minor. You, you somehow the law eases up on you a little teeny bit. If you're, uh, uh, if, if, if not, then there's no respect for the crafty entrapment that goes on in society when it comes to children. Adults prey on children. We have to take care of minors until they're old enough to think and know for themselves and particularly adolescents. Uh, I don't know what you did when you were an adolescent, but I did everything I could think of, and it wasn't all good. And But I was innocent in the sense that adolescent innocence is a time when, though we are sinners, we, 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 we don't really know any better. And so that that's what this is about. Now's the time for you to grow up, see. Paul is going to take you into a territory here 
where it calls for mature adults to do the work of the Lord. And in verse 14, he says that we henceforth be no more children, see, tossed and thrown, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And in 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him and in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 15, being true in agape love, we grow up into Christ likeness. It takes a period of time to grow and to learn. And he's going to now elucidate that for you as he leaves this, this, these verses and goes into the beginning of the latter part of the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter. He's going to tell you how it is that you walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. And in the 16, he says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That ends the, the, the reading for today. But you've got there uh, uh, joined together like the parts of a human body. All these gifted people become harmonized, adapted, and knit together and cemented for growth and the support of the church. You'll know later he'll say a hand can't be an elbow or can't be an eye. He means we're all together in this thing. And he must hold it together. Pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, apostle, all focused on one thing. Not scattered all over helter-skelter, but looking right at one church, one place, one time. All these functions bearing down on that one place. And that church will go, pow! The Holy Spirit will bust it right wide open. And God will bless it. Because we're following the the teachings of Paul on the founding and the beginning of what a real, true local church ought to feel like, ought to look like. There's power in it. See, power in it. When you walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. That last word, called, is a loud voice. It's not, there's, there's a still small voice somewhere in the Bible, but, but there's also a loud voice. You, 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 loud to you, not loud to everybody, but loud to you. When you are called to do something, you hear that call. You hear it, you hear it loud and you hear it clear and you know what it is. But God will lead you and enable you to walk worthy of that calling, walk worthy of that calling to deport yourself in a way that you can respond to the divine invitation to be a Christian. And to follow what Paul is now going to tell you, that is. And that's for the next time we get together. And I hope that you have enjoyed, as much as I have, this little time together, this little Bible study from Ephesians this morning. And God bless you today. Have yourself a great day. Enjoy this day. Get yourself some good coffee. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Eu quero ser um testemunho Remove o erro e crie o bem em mim Estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz que inunda o meu Jesus 